and welcome to GFN News on GFN.tv. I'm your host Joanna Junak. In today's news. We find out what's happening in Denmark and Sweden, two European countries with plans to ban nicotine and vaping products. In the United States, drug policy reform organizations are urging the government not to move forward with a proposed ban of menthol cigarettes. And after the news, Brent Stafford of RecWatch interviews Chimwemo Goma, a leading tobacco harm reduction advocate from Malawi. Last month, the Danish authorities proposed a ban on sales of cigarettes to people born after 2010. This move could prevent the next generation of Danes from ever using any form of tobacco, said Health Minister Magnus Honecke, adding that smoking is the country's leading cause of cancer. But now, due to European Union rules, it seems unlikely that the Danish plans will proceed in their current form. The Ministry of Health said that the ban on sales of nicotine or tobacco products to people born after 2010 would require changes to the European Union Tobacco Products Directive. GFN News will keep you updated as this story develops. Meanwhile, the Swedish government is introducing a bill to prohibit flavored e-liquids. The proposed law includes nicotine and non-nicotine e-liquid and regulates all synthetic nicotine products. If the law is passed, the sale of flavored vape products will be illegal from January 1, 2023. The bill titled Stricter Rules for New Nicotine Products is currently being reviewed by the Council of Legislation. We asked Stefan Mattison, journalist, editor-in-chief of Vape Colon, and a proponent of tobacco harm reduction in Sweden, a few questions. Stefan, why does the government want to ban vape flavors? Well, uh, the main reason, as with all the flavor bans that we're seeing around the world right now, uh, is to protect kids from becoming addicted to nicotine, basically. Uh, that is the rationale of this flavor ban, uh, first and foremost. It is not about health, really. Uh, they particularly stated that vaping is really not that risky when you look at the data. Uh, the only thing that's risky with vaping is the nicotine addiction. And that is why they want to ban almost all flavors. They have an exception, uh, which is the cryptic flavor flavoring that we call tobacco flavorings. Um, that is supposed to be allowed. Uh, so that's where we're at, basically. Is vaping such a problem in Sweden? Uh, I think if you're going to answer that question, you need to look at it from two sides. Uh, prevalence of youth vaping here in Sweden is very low. Uh, it is, if you look at regular use, once a day, once a week kind of use, it's below 1% of the, of the youth population. Uh, but when you look at young people who have ever tried a vape, uh, it's obviously a lot higher. It's around 40%, something like that. Uh, and it's it's uh, slowly going down, you know, uh, been going down. So according to the government, uh, this is a problem. They want to stop this development of youth trying e-cigarettes. Uh, but if you look at it from a more objective perspective, the problem is not really that big. 
smoking prevalence is around 6% about uh, when it comes to daily use among youth. And I think uh, the prevalence of smoking uh, more, un you know, one month and stuff like that is around 20%. So no, it's not a big problem, but the government sees it that way, <laughs> of course. And what would be the consequences for vapors if the bill comes into force? The consequences for vapors is, yeah, it's hard to tell, of course, but according to the government's own investigation, more vapors will go back to smoking cigarettes, of course. And some vapors will quit completely, but not, you know, there are no numbers of this, no one knows. So the consequence for users is that they will not have access to the flavors in the e-cigarettes that actually keeps them off smoking. Uh, and what that means in, in practice is uh, impossible to say. We can look at studies from other countries and we know that basically smoking will go up again. Uh, and um, that's the deal. We are about somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 vapors in Sweden. Uh, and a third of us are you know, daily vapors. Uh, which is kind of a measurement of how many are actually, you know, uh, vaping only, not smoking as well. So the consequence, well, who knows? Uh, I mean, people will go back to cigarettes. I think that that is the, the bottom line of this. And I think the most the thing about a flavor band like this and all flavor bands is that they completely ignore that this is a problem. I think they think it's worth it. They, 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 say, they say so in, in this proposition in Sweden as well. Uh, they know that people will go back to smoking. Vapors will go back to smoking. They know that less smokers would, will try vaping or, or, or transition to vaping. But they simply don't care because of the risk, as they see it, uh, to young people trying e-cigarettes and being risking addiction uh, which they don't even mention addiction sometimes they just say young people shouldn't use e-cigarettes it's a bad habit <laughs> like uh, so that is the bottom line for us uh, uh, many more vapors will not be vapors anymore we turn back to smoking but it doesn't matter to the government uh, it's not important thank you stefan and now to discuss opposition to the proposed mental cigarette ban in the united states Let's cross over to Will Godfrey from Filter Magazine. Hi, Will. Hi, Joanna. When was this ban proposed and why is it controversial? The FDA first announced this plan about a year ago, and just recently its new commissioner confirmed that it will move forward with specific proposed rules to be published later this month. The plan has divided groups that are normally allies, We've seen some support for it from within the THR community, for example, as well as opposition. Proponents say it would improve public health and that only sellers, not smokers, would be targeted by enforcement. But many of us in the drug policy space point out that prohibition never ends use and always creates additional harms, as we've seen time and time again in the war on drugs. Very significantly, menthols are preferred by a large majority of black smokers in the US. When something is banned, illicit markets inevitably develop in the communities that use it, with lines blurring between user and supplier. 
So why target this population that has already borne the brunt of criminalization over drugs? We'd all like to see smoking replaced by safer alternatives, but why resort to criminalization for this one category of cigarette when harm reduction alternatives, including menthol flavored vapes, could and should be promoted? What form has the latest opposition taken? A coalition of organizations sent a recent letter to the FDA and top officials making some of these very points. Policies that amount to prohibition have serious racial justice implications, they wrote. It will lead to illegal unlicensed distribution in communities of color, trigger criminal laws in all 50 states, increase negative interactions with police, and ultimately increase incarceration rates. The breadth and diversity of this coalition is notable. It includes left-leaning organizations like the Drug Policy Alliance and Students for Sensible Drug Policy, right-leaning groups like the Reason Foundation and R Street, Urban Survivors Union, the National Drug User Union, and police reform groups like the Law Enforcement Action Partnership and National Association of Black Law Enforcement Officers, among many more. Systemic racism has indeed left communities of color behind in healthcare, in the economy, and in the criminal justice system, they write. But prohibition is not the answer. Harm reduction is. What happens now? The process is moving forward, but enactment, if it happens, could still be years away. And with significant opposition mobilizing, the debate will only get more intense. The situation around the regulation of harm reduction products could have a significant bearing too. Thank you, Will. See you next time. Thanks, Joanna. And now we go over to Brent Stafford and his guest, Chimwe Goma, leading tobacco harm reduction advocate from Malawi. Jim has led the Tobacco Harm Reduction Malawi project since 2018. He also works on KEC Tobacco Harm Reduction Scholarship Program. In today's news, Jim will share his thoughts on the smoking problem in Africa and why adoption rate of tobacco harm reduction is so slow in many African countries. Over to you, Brent. Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and welcome to another segment of RegWatch on GFN.TV. Often regions in the world that could greatly benefit from tobacco harm reduction are the very places where THR policies struggle to take hold. And one of those places is more than a region, it's the continent of Africa. Joining us today to talk through the challenges is one of the leading THR advocates in Africa, Chim Ngoma, Assistant Program Manager at Knowledge Action Change. Jim, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, the African continent is obviously diverse as it is large. What can you tell us about smoking in Africa? Um, there is a long history of tobacco leaf in Africa, and it is in some societies deeply entrenched and to the extent that uh, they are sometimes used for um, traditional uh, purposes such as uh, gifts during traditional ceremonies and chief installation ceremonies. In addition to that, the tobacco leaf is sometimes uh, used for medicinal purposes in some societies where it is used for dressing of wounds and as an aesthetic for toothache. And moving on to smoking, um, the problem is really big in Africa and the WHO uh, attests to this. It states that um, while smoking rates are on the decline in many parts of the world, smoking rates in Africa are on the rise 
and it is projected that by 2025, smoking rates in Africa will have increased to um, 51 million. Wow. So why is it on the rise in Africa? All right. So the WHO attributes this increase to the increase in population, but it should also be noted that uh, whilst the rest of the world is adopting uh, tobacco harm reduction products, for example, uh, in UK, they have embraced uh, electronic cigarettes. In Sweden, they have embraced snooze. In Japan, they have embraced uh, heat and open uh, products. In Africa, the adoption rate of tobacco harm reduction is slow. So give us an understanding about smoking in terms of the differences between men and women. All right. So in Africa, smoking is predominantly a male habit, and there are wide differences between, uh, I mean, wide differences in smoking rates between men and women. For example, in Lesotho, uh, the smoking rates in men is about 52% as compared to less than 1% of uh, women. And this is true and applies in many other African countries. Jim, let's take a moment to talk a bit about your background. Fill us in on how you came to tobacco harm reduction. Back in 2018, I used to work for a local NGO in Malawi uh, on drugs and substance abuse. And I also worked as a citizen journalist uh, where I used to write uh, stories on various social issues happening around me and in my community for publication in the national platforms. But by this time, I had limited understanding of tobacco reduction and on effective ways on how to help smokers quit smoking. But after carefully analyzing the concept of tobacco reduction and content around it, and further relating tobacco reduction to other fields where harm reduction is practiced, I came to a personal conclusion that tobacco reduction is the most practical and effective solution for ending smoking in Africa. So from that time, I made a decision to advocate actively for tobacco harm reduction so that my friends, uh, relatives, and everyone who is a smoker can get to know about tobacco harm reduction and make informed decisions regarding their health and escape um, an early grave as a result of smoking. Were you a smoker yourself? No. Of course, I have experimented with uh, cigarettes and uh, vaping products. So yes, you don't always need to have been a smoker to have seen the value of tobacco harm reduction as a policy and to get out there and advocate for it. So let me, let's move to vaping as a topic, because of course we talk about that endlessly here on RegWatch. Is vaping popular in Africa? Vaping is not that popular in many African countries and tobacco reduction in general is a newly formed concept and a lot of people do not really know about uh, the concept of tobacco reduction and vaping products. Of course, I know of other countries like South Africa where a lot of people, a lot of smokers are taking up uh, vaping instead of uh, smoking. So has vaping made an impact when it comes to Africans quitting smoking? Um, at the moment, I would say that uh, countries like South Africa where vaping products are available at a better price and they are accessible by smokers. Smokers, some smokers are able to switch to these safer means of consuming nicotine. So I would say that uh, for countries like South Africa, vaping is making a difference. But uh, in other countries like Malawi, where 
safer nicotine products like vaping products are limited in supply or they are ridiculously uh, priced, I think it is yet to make uh, a meaningful impact. Now, is tobacco harm reduction a well-known concept? Tobacco harm reduction, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it is not a very well-known concept in many African countries. And um, I know of uh, so many countries in Africa that do not have um, specific laws regarding uh, the sale and use of uh, safer nicotine products. And that means that tobacco harm reduction is not a widely known concept. But uh, with the growing THR advocacy voice in Africa, I believe that uh, smokers and authorities will get to know about tobacco harm reduction so that uh, they can uh, make them accessible and available for consumers to adopt them and switch to the life-saving technologies. Well, you know, I mean, it's actually as a concept that's been around, you know, originating in the West, and there's many places that still can't get their head around THR overall uh, harm reduction. And then when it comes to THR, it's even harder for them. They just think that people who smoke should just quit. Yeah, um, that's true. And um, what Africa has as a problem at the moment is that it is sitting at the receiving end of almost everything, including uh, information on vaping products and tobacco harm reduction in general. So yes, we are lagging behind on that. And our friends in the Western part of the world are the ones on the forefront in the adoption of uh, technologies like uh, electronic cigarettes. Now, we've been told that THR policies has had some real success in some regions of Africa. Do you think that's the case and how so? Um, I don't really think that's the case because we have some problems uh, here in Africa when it comes to the adoption of these safer nicotine products. And when uh, policies are formulated on safer nicotine products, I think uh, they are formulated in a way that they are prohibitory to uh, those who are, are low-earning uh, smokers. For example, uh, in Kenya, they have a law on electronic cigarettes. And in short, I would say that electronic cigarettes in Kenya are taxed. And the tax per electronic cigarette device is about $30, and per cartridge it is about $25 which is against the average monthly income of a smoker living in Kenya, which is about $125. And um, similarly in South Africa, uh, we are seeing again, heavy tax measures on the same. I would say that these such kind of measures are prohibitory for smokers who are on low incomes. So I think that um, tobacco reduction and vaping is facing a lot of resistance in Africa. The adoption of these products are facing some resistance. But when it comes to uh, some success, I would say that some countries like South Africa, like you have putly said, they have not rushed into banning uh, safer nicotine products like vaping, like other countries in Africa have done, like Uganda, Mauritius, Gambia. So I think uh, this is some kind of a, uh, a success story when it comes to uh, not uh, rushing into banning of safer nicotine products like vaping, because at least in South Africa, the product is being regulated rather than being banned. So yes, it could be considered as a um, success story.
So, but as you say, though, it's clear that there is a war on vaping in many countries in Africa. Yes, that's true. And um, this is mainly because uh, there is some misinformation and disinformation going around by uh, Bloomberg-funded organizations like the Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids and there are other beneficiaries who, pro who are propelling misinformation and disinformation that uh, safer nicotine products like vaping products are as harmful as combustible cigarettes, thereby pushing for their uh, banning. And like I said, there are other countries in Africa that have banned these safer nicotine products without following uh, proper procedure. So I think uh, countries like South Africa, which undertook a socioeconomic impact assessment before coming up with a decision is something that is commendable and the rest of the uh, continent, the, uh, the, the, the rest of the countries on the continent should emulate. Now, Bloomberg is uh, obviously somebody that uh, we'll talk about in just a little bit more depth in just a moment. But before we do that, besides obviously the incessant war on vaping, you had mentioned that affordability was an issue. What are the biggest obstacles to adopting vaping? And I know, say, uh, say for nicotine products in general, I've, it's important to bring that up because there are other products besides just vaping products. The adoption and implementation of tobacco harm reduction and vaping in this case uh, is facing a lot of obstacles here in Africa. And um, one of the obstacles revolves around the availability, accessibility, and affordability of uh, these vaping products. Where these vaping products are available, they are priced so highly that an average income earning smoker cannot really afford. Secondly, um, there is misinformation going around on vaping. Uh, you remember about the Evali outbreak in the USA. Um, Africa received a lot of misinformation and disinformation about Evali and vaping. And we saw some uh, quotas starting to uh, call for an outright ban of vaping products because of the misinformation they got about the Evali from the media, because the media mainly framed news on the Evali uh, with alarming and fear frames. So these are some of the uh, obstacles facing the adoption of safer nicotine products in Africa. On top of that, uh, there are other smokers who live in rural areas and off the electrical grid. This means that uh, these smokers cannot necessarily maintain and uh, sustain their use of um, electronic cigarettes because they require constant uh, recharging and stuff like that. Yeah, one should never forget. Certainly, I'm well aware that I need to be like within five feet of a plug-in anywhere I go or a very strong battery. And that's to, you know, keep my use of vaping products going. Without power, you know, forget it. Yeah, true. And what uh, these smokers who live in rural areas and off the electrical grid uh, safer nicotine products that are maybe of low tech. I know uh, smokers, every smoker is different, is unique. What works for one might not work for the other, but it would make sense for smokers living off the electrical grid in Malawi and uh, the rest of the African continent to have access to these low safer, I mean, low tech safer nicotine products so that at least they can have a choice. Yeah, choice is what's key. I mean, we fight, we're fighting for that here 
in North America all the time. It's the same thing, access and choice of products. What about flavor bands? I mean, is that kicked around much? Not at the moment, because what we are struggling with at the moment is um, the cause on banning of electronic cigarettes in general, not a flavor band. So we haven't made uh, such kind of a resistance as of yet. Well, yeah, I mean, they're just going straight for the banning. Now, you were talking about Bloomberg. One of the biggest organizations that he funds and works with is called The Union. They don't get a lot of press. Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, you know, a lot of people know what that group is. But The Union, they're the former uh, Worldwide Tuberculosis Society, and they're based out of France. And their strong push is that they're kind of the regulatory shop. That's a part of uh, Bloomberg's entire process. And so we're showing some pictures from the union right now. We've covered the union to some extent. Now, they've got prepackaged off-the-shelf regulations that they force on LMICs, low- and middle-income countries, many of those obviously in Africa. Are you familiar with the union, and have they been pushing this kind of ban, ban, ban regulation onto countries in Africa? Yes, I'm familiar with the union and what they are doing. And uh, at the moment, I believe that there is something that is being done by the union on Africa. What the Bloomberg is basically doing is um, imposing Western tobacco control measures on Africa, which are not only expensive, but complex to implement for any resource-stretched economy or government in Africa. Additionally, I think um, what the Bloomberg is doing is basically propelling its ideologies and beliefs instead of pushing for science and evidence. So then, Jim, is Bloomberg and what they're doing, do you see them presenting as the biggest obstacle for safer nicotine products in Africa? Yes, um, I think that's one of the obstacles because uh, what basically the Bloomberg is doing is uh, initiating or pushing Africa into a war against nicotine instead of waging the war against smoking. So here, I think we are hitting the uh, wrong target. Now, is it fair to say that those you know, people pushing these policies, the Bloombergs, the Union, et cetera, are they taking advantage of governments in Africa because, for some way, in some reason? I think that would be true because uh, a lot of governments in Africa don't have enough resources. So basically, the, we, we, our governments look up to what the WHO says, what the Bloomberg says, because they get some funding from there. So basically, uh, instead of the governments uh, making their own decisions, making their own socioeconomic impact assessments and making science-based policies, they try to please the Bloomberg and the WHO and everyone who uh, gives them a little of funding. Yeah, I guess that's what kind of kind of does make it a bit colonial <laughs> in a certain way. So, I mean, what about the authorities then in Africa themselves? They're, as you're saying, they're kind of just siding, I guess, with Bloomberg's people, and they're not embracing THR. So you have public health and you've got government. Is there anybody on your side? The public health or the governments, to, to be specific here in Malawi, it is very difficult for them to meet the basic requirements for uh, a good healthcare system, such that when you go to our public healthcare institutions, for example, here in Malawi, 
you go to a public health care institution, you barely find safer nicotine products, including the nicotine replacement therapies. So basically, uh, there is some sort of neglect due to underfunding in many of these uh, governments in Africa. But I've seen that, uh, for example, in Malawi, there is some sort of willingness to embrace tobacco reduction. The authorities that we have involved or engaged here in Malawi have been receptive of the concept of tobacco harm reduction. But um, of course, we haven't really seen most of them or most of the governments in Africa openly talking about or uh, sharing the health benefits of tobacco harm reduction. They are silent on that. Jim, I know you'll be hosting one of the keynote presentations at the Global Forum on Nicotine Conference in Warsaw, Poland, this June 16th to 18th. Why is a conference like GFN important for THR advocacy? In the world of advocacy, there is a common phrase that goes, nothing about us without us. And the Global Forum on Nicotine attracts a wide range of participants, ranging from academicians, lawmakers, scientists, um, innovators, and many others coming together to discuss nicotine. And I think it is uh, I mean, the GFN is one of those platforms where uh, consumer voices and views are supposed to be heard and taken into consideration before anyone implements or comes up with any initiative that would in turn affect the consumer. Final question for you, Chim. How can uh, advocates for THR outside of Africa get involved? Is there anything they can do to help out the effort there? In Africa, we have a number of uh, tobacco harm reduction advocates and advocacy groups. We have some in uh, South Africa, Tanzania, Malawi, Zambia, Uganda, Kenya, uh, Congo, Nigeria, and many other uh, countries in Africa. And um, what I know is and believe in is for advocates to have a meaningful and lasting impact, they need a collective and unified voice on a global and regional levels. So I would really want to see some good collaboration uh, between advocates in Africa and those ad advocates from the rest of the world uh, speaking about tobacco harm reduction, talking about tobacco harm reduction with one unified voice. And of course, this is something that I've already started to see, and I would like to applaud and I encourage this. Thank you, Brent and Jim, for an interesting discussion. We look forward to seeing you both in Warsaw this summer. That's all for today. Thanks for watching and see you next time for more tobacco harm reduction updates and brands for coming interview with Sud Patwadan, a UK licensed medical doctor of Indian origin, who's passionate about helping people quit risky forms of tobacco. Goodbye for now.